When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining us for another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT where I like to share the real story behind her title. And coming up in just a few minutes, uh, joining me here in the studio is strategist at SAP Digital, uh, entrepreneur, educator, advisor, and actress, Svetlana Tikhanov. Tikhanov. Um, I'm going to struggle with that, but I'm going to get it right. Uh, so um, very excited to have her with me this evening, sharing her story. It's, it's an amazing one, and she's doing a lot of incredible work um, here in Philadelphia. Be sure to stay with us uh, during the breaks where you'll hear from our expert watch team of contributors, all of whom are women, and they will be bringing you the latest in health, law, leadership, and technology. And you can learn more about them by visiting our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. So now I'd like to turn my attention to Svetlana and welcome her to the show. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me here. It's a pleasure. I came across your work and your profile by doing some research, and uh, I, I was so struck by the amount of various things that you're involved in and doing. So I'm excited to share that with our listeners. And um, I'll mention um, you're full-time with SAP Digital as the mm-hmm. head of strategy, but there are multiple other things that you're passionate about that you're working on. And um, I'd love to start with your um, being born in the Ukraine and have you talk to our listeners a little bit about what it was like there and what brought you to the U.S. Oh, Absolutely. I was born in Kiev, uh, and I lived there until I was about 14. This was the Soviet Ukraine. We left um, when the Soviet Union was still intact, and I, it was a secret uh, immigration path. My parents wanted to leave the country for many years because it was suppressed, and my father was looking for freedom. And eventually, when they did get a permission, um, I was notified one week in advance that we are leaving and that I could just go into school one day and say goodbye. Wow. And it uh, was a very dramatic experience. I remember thinking, this is not happening. (laughs) And how old were you at that time? 14. Okay. So I left my friends, my lifestyle. I was training as a professional dancer to compete for Ukraine. 
And we took off. Um, when we left, of course, uh, it was a long immigration path. We've gone through five different countries without money, without documentation. Uh, the Soviets took all our uh, documents, including uh, passports and uh, anything we had, and we had to survive. So the experience was uh, very interesting, and it taught me how to survive. And actually, I've changed uh, lifestyles, uh, countries, friends, uh, and languages, uh, and it all happened so quickly. Mm. And that, what a, you know, um, pivotal age 14 for a young girl when you're just kind of starting to get your footing and and um, perhaps feel at home with your friends. And tell me, where, uh, where did you go to school when you left there? And where did you spend most of the time before you came to the U.S.? Yes, so we went through Czechoslovakia. We lived in Austria for some time and eventually wound up in Italy, where we stayed. Italy was a neutral country, and they accepted uh, immigrants at that time without passports. And I didn't actually go to school. I I had to work because we had no money. Um, so I skipped about two years of school. So my school picked up in high school when I came to the U.S. I was about 16. And where did you come to the U.S.? To the U.S., I, we first came to Baltimore, Maryland. Okay. And uh, that is where I remember first going into an American high school not understanding a word. Yeah. And teenagers yeah. were brutal. Mm, they can be. <laughs> yes. yes uh, they were not supportive. So it was, uh, again, a new a new lifestyle, very different from Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, culturally, people were different. Uh, I had to settle yet again, learn the language very quickly, build, you know, new home, new friends. And this actually was happening... From that point on, three more times for me. I lived in five different countries where I completely had to resettle. Wow. Tell me, why Baltimore? Did you have family there? We had friends, and we were invited uh, as, as uh, sort of for, for visa purposes and mm-hmm. settled. And Baltimore was always too small for me, so eventually, as soon as I could, I moved to Washington, D.C. Okay. You mentioned you speak several languages. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering which one you felt was the easiest to learn. Uh, Italian. Italian I picked up. Or perhaps it was a necessity for me. I had to make money. So I think I was fluent within six months. Okay. All those years through the traveling and the moving around, what as a young girl were you dreaming about being when you grew up? Hmm. I thought I will be a singer. I used to sing quite a lot. I enjoyed it, um, and I loved performing. So my dream was to become a singer, but my actually professional training was in dance mm-hmm. and later in theater. So it's interesting, you know. You're you you have this creative um, interest, and yet you ended up at SAP, working in technology. First, I want to ask you: is is there a childhood memory that you can think of? that um, contributed to the woman that you are today? Absolutely. And I think, you know, leaving the Soviet uh, Union and entering, so my first country where I actually saw capitalism was um, Austria in Vienna. And I vividly remember walking the streets of Vienna and thinking, 
how different the world is, the norms, the people, how people communicate and everything is available, which, you know, com contrary to the Soviet Union, it was an unbelievable world. And that taught me that essentially norms are relative and things that we believe in, in, in one context are not necessarily true in another context or mm -hmm. another culture. That realization changed my life. Did it give you that desire to explore and, and learn more and meet new people and, and different cultures? Absolutely. It gave me a sense of uh, freedom and a sense that I can adapt and change mm. and still be myself, that I can be parachuted into a completely different environment. And no matter how different it is, I can survive. Did you have siblings? I did not. You did not. OK, so you were an only child. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about your years at George Washington, mm -hmm. um, where you received um, an MBA and a, a degree in acting. It's an interesting combination. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for our Legal Watch with Carol Weinman. Now, the Women to Watch Legal Watch. Hi, this is Carol Weinman with Legal Watch. Today I'm here to talk to you about a holistic approach to managing behaviors in those with autism. Whether focusing on a child with autism in the classroom, the court system, or a public setting, we must consider the whole person to assess the manifesting behavior. Behavior is communication, and even more so for those with autism who have significant communication deficits. How do nonverbal infants often communicate their needs? By pointing. Not knowing to point is a hallmark sign for autism. Without that tool for communicating needs, these infants must find another way. Often, that translates into problematic behaviors, such as screaming, hitting, and throwing things to call attention to their needs. It starts very early on. Fast forward to years later, without adequate interventions, and teens or adults with autism utilize what they've always done to communicate acting out. If we focus on the negative behavior and not the driving force, we miss the mark. We must target what's motivating the actions. Often how we behave is simply a reaction to what is happening around us. Adopting a holistic approach to explain behaviors or meltdowns is far more effective than simply attempting to modify the behavior. A simplified approach to pinpointing the why is to identify the trigger, remove the trigger, modify the environment with supports, and replace the negative behaviors with acceptable alternates. For more information, please contact me at autismlegal.com. Attorney and leading autism expert Carol Weinman offers one-of-a-kind solutions to your legal and autism needs. Recognized nationwide as the one and only autism legal expert, Weinman delivers exceptional results. Weinman is a master at putting together pieces to create a remarkable outcome. Contact Weinman at 215-591-3614 or at autismlegal.com. That's autismlegal.com. Carol Weinman, the leading nationwide expert autism attorney. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm talking this evening with Svetlana Tikhanov, who is uh, founder of Quadrat Academy here in Philadelphia. And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But we're kind of starting at the beginning, as we always do. And it was interesting to me that you went off to George Washington and you received an MBA. um, But you were also studying acting. And you always seem to have that love of of theater. Um, Tell me a little bit about that experience and how you, I'll say, juggled the two different fields. Absolutely. So acting was always a passion and I pursued it uh, seriously as I always do. So I have a full acting degree and I worked with a studio in DC and I started performing professionally. Actually working as an actress for 10 years. Uh, At the same time I had a full-time job because I had to uh, make money and put myself through college. And uh, I pursued my MBA um, because I knew I needed uh, a paying career. Interestingly enough, acting, while it was very serious and I I did very well, I had lead roles, I traveled internationally to uh, conferences and and festivals, I never thought it was a possible career for me. And I think that was sort of one of the things ingrained in me by my parents, that choice of being an artist um, for life was never there. A struggling artist, as they say. Correct. Right. <laughs> I had to make money. So yeah. I, you know, I thought, okay, well, we need an MBA, right? At the time, uh, MBA was important. So I, I did full-time work, uh, full-time MBA at night and full-time performances, wow. which were six performances a week. Wow. That's a um, lot. So you can imagine backstage, I was doing my homework. <laughs> In between <laughs> scenes. <laughs> At work, I was yeah. learning lines, and the world was um, all integrated. But it was a very important life. I don't think I could have left one side or another. Mm. Um, it was so important for me to to do this. And when I tend to do something, I do it really seriously, and I spend a lot of time, and I really dive into it. So essentially, I was in three different worlds. But Uh, I was trying to hide my career from uh, the company where I was working at the time because I didn't want them to think I was distracted. And um, so I don't think they knew as much about my acting world. But uh, the completely two different worlds were uh, very interesting. As you know, people are very different, the way they think. And so as as I walk into a corporate boardroom as a consultant presenting, right, it's a completely different environment than walking into, you know, a theater on stage right. with actors yes. and yes. crazy musicians. And and that shift uh, sort of was interesting for me, but I managed. Do you think that your um, experience in theater helped you with 
the work that you were doing at the company. Oh, absolutely. My uh, presentation skills were much, I was much more comfortable presenting. I've, mm -hmm. in my life as a consultant, I've presented to very big and important people, ministers and heads of state and uh, CEOs and boards as a young woman. And even in the Middle East, where I was the only woman always in the room, and I never had a problem with it because I always thought of it as a performance. Wow. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I mean, I know that you do that work with children as well, and I think mm -hmm. that's a tremendous um, confidence boost for them uh, mm -hmm. just to do something like that at a young age, whether they stay with it or not. Right. Um, did you have, an as a young lady, did you have an active social life, or were you really focused on your work and your career? Oh, no, I was extremely social. In fact, I always wanted to be around people. I invited people. My home was always full of projects. We would rehearse. I had volunteer projects. I worked with kids. I would turn any environment into a very social, very open environment. And mm -hmm. it was important for me. I think the community, I grew up in a very small family. Mm -hmm. We. I was the only child. Uh, both of my parents are the only children. And so we... We really had to build a, a community. They always had a lot of friends around, and I think that was very important. Tell me how you got the job at SAP, and when, when did that happen? Oh, it's an interesting path. So at some point, um, having been very successful and, and consulting internationally and living in different countries, I came back to the U.S. because I decided it was time to exit consulting uh, and spend some time with my family. And also, I wanted to do nonprofit work. I was determined to work for um, nonprofit foundations. And I came back to D.C. and started looking. And I looked for a year, and everyone thought I was completely overqualified. I've interviewed with, you know, UNICEF and Greenpeace. And, and essentially... Um, Everyone said, you're a fantastic strategist, but, you know, we can't accept you. So at some point, SAP found me, and they called me, and they said, look, we need someone who is uh, thinking outside the box because they were on the verge of transformation, and uh, they were going into new industries, and they were looking to build new businesses. So they wanted the strategy experience. They needed an international experience and, and someone who thinks differently. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, they convinced me that uh, this would be a great chance for me to make a, a difference for them. Yeah, how wonderful. They were aware of your work and, mm -hmm. you know, your reputation and your um, experience was out there and known to them. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk about you established um, a leading children's cancer hospital in Egypt. Tell me why there and how is it doing? Yes, so I was asked to come to Egypt uh, to establish uh, a consultancy, a strategy consultancy, at a time when Middle East did not even understand what strategy meant, but had a wonderful, interesting, um, and quite progressive group of entrepreneurs and big holding companies and ministers that came from studying abroad and uh, had a very uh, progressive mindset. So we came in and started tackling major challenges for Egypt. Uh, so I worked with the Minister of Finance. We, we changed the way they calculated taxes, how they worked with the World Bank. So there was a lot of work that we wanted to do for the country. And I started um, the Booz & Company consultancy business there. And we established an office, uh, and that's how I sort of wound up in Egypt. And I relocated with my family 
we sp I spent about four years there. Of course, while working 24-7, um, I also had to pursue my passions. And so children and education were one of them. So we okay. launched a number of projects. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk about the, that catalyst, the moment when you said to yourself, I, I have to do something in the field of education and children and, and something different. You're listening to Women to Watch. We'll be right back and stay with us for our Health Watch with Dr. Mary and Richie. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. From Jefferson University Hospital, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Food is digested in the stomach and upper intestine. Then waste forms in the lower intestine, the colon, a long muscular tube. If colon muscle is in spasm or if you strain to pass stool, pressure may build and cause little sacs, pouches, that form in weak spots of the colon. This is diverticulosis. It may be genetic and run in your family. Smoking and obesity may increase the risk. We're not sure if a low-fiber diet can cause it. Usually, you don't know you have it, but on occasion, it can cause bleeding, and without warning, a patient passes a large amount of blood without abdominal pain. Usually, the bleeding stops on its own. Sometimes, we treat with colonoscopy, rarely with surgery. More commonly, if the pockets are inflamed, it's diverticulitis, which can be very serious. Fortunately, this is less than 5% of the time. You have sudden onset of a pain in the abdomen, usually lower left side, often with fever, change to diarrhea, or constipation. We make the diagnosis with a CAT scan and a blood test that shows infection. Usually cases are mild. We treat with antibiotic pills and clear liquids for a few days and gradually increase low fiber into your diet as the pain improves. Six to eight weeks later, you need colonoscopy to be sure this is not colon cancer. More severe cases, you might need to stay in the hospital because there could be an abscess, which is a bubble of an infection, or even a blockage. The most serious complication is a perforation or a hole. These cases may even require surgery. Newsflash, it is not caused by seeds or corn kernels getting stuck. In fact, studies show high fiber diets might decrease the risk of recurrent diverticulitis. So divas, don't smoke, do watch your weight, go ahead, eat nuts, popcorn, veggies, yes, tomatoes, cucumbers, and my favorite, it comes on a cob. Dr. Richie, you're so corny. Do you have a financial advisor who you trust that looks at you as more than just a number? At the Foley Hillsley Group, that person is Kristen Hillsley. Kristen's team has a different approach to managing your wealth called the Panorama Process. This unique process helps you obtain your financial goals easily because it's more than just investments, it's about you. To learn more, visit their website at fhbaird.com or call 610-238-6636. The Foley-Hilsey Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird & Company, Incorporated Member SIPC. Log on to fhbaird.com to learn more. That's fhbaird.com. So if you need a financial advisor you can trust, call Kristen Hillsley at 610-238-6636. That's 610-238-6636. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. 
Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm speaking this evening with Svetlana Tikhanov, and um, she's the founder of Quadrat Academy here in Philadelphia. But we're talking a little bit about her, her life before that and her um, enormous amount of traveling um, through Egypt and the Middle East and Cairo. And um, you were uh, brought on for many projects because of your, I'll say, unique way of uh, thinking about how to do things. Um, and one of the things you were involved in is um, designing programs for orphanages. And I'd love to learn more about what those programs were. And um, I'd also like to know what surprised you the most about those particular children, if you did indeed have time to interact with them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when we launched the orphanages program, of course, Egypt uh, is a very um, poverty-intense country, so only 5% are wealthy. The rest are pretty much at poverty level. And as you can imagine, boys are very much welcomed in that culture where girls are not. Mm-hmm. So 99% of orphanages host little girls that are left on the street, which is a very sad phenomena. Um, and they need so much. I remember walking into an orphanage uh, where all these cute, beautiful girls, they have these big eyes with dark lashes, and, and you know, they're, they're just amazing kids. And... You know, we brought them uh, milk and cartons and juice, and I thought they would go for the juice, and actually they were so fascinated by milk. These kids did not have money for milk, which to me was a complete uh, shocking uh, story because I think all kids drink milk. And in general, there was... They had absolutely nothing, and so we were so fortunate. I organized a group of consultants and and other supporters where we would collect money and supply them with whatever it is they needed. We would spend time with them. It was very emotional, and I think, you know, going there, you you would just feel, you know, and sometimes they run to you and they call you mommy, Mm. you know, and they just hug you and they hold you, and you feel like just taking them all home, right? right, They're incredible. So it, it was a very important part for me to give, to, to be with them and, and really help in any way we could. And that's how we got involved into many other projects like the Children's Cancer Hospital, which was being built, which was one of the biggest innovations that um, Egypt and Cairo launched. Uh, the First Lady collected uh, a lot of money th- from the general public, in fact, uh, the hospital was financed almost by the general public who people would donate a dollar, basically, to build this. And they brought in um, doctors from Germany and we set up a whole model for them because it was so much needed. A lot of kids were dying and there was no cure for them in Egypt. And then that led to actually post-studies. We realized that kids were treated and then they would die after they came home. And we found out that they're not nurtured enough. So we built an oasis. We helped uh, support uh, a big, big project. The government gave 
land, and actually there was an oasis where children and their families would be cared for for six months after the hospital. So these were all incredible projects. Uh, People that I met there, doctors and everyone who volunteered their time, were very passionate, very dedicated people, and I thought it's such a different world from the corporate money-making world. Um, And that led sort of me to think that in the future what I want to do is really nonprofit and work and, and give back to children. Yeah. Are, are those, uh, did that program lead to additional programs and additional facilities? Absolutely. Okay. So there, there were incrementally built different farms and supporting systems for kids in Egypt. I remember they didn't have funding. We were actually putting together all kinds of presentations to help them fundraise money. And the way the Oasis was built, for example, was one house at a time, one little house. As soon as money was uh, put together, they would build something just Mm -hmm. to start. And Mm -hmm. eventually it became an extraordinary space where they could grow their own food. They had animals, you know, medical staff. So just a lot. And also with orphanages, we would work with more and more orphanages as we gained uh, strength. And when I left Egypt, happy to say the program continued and was picked up, which was, I think, the most remarkable thing. Mm. So you eventually came back to the U.S. And I want to read a quote um, You said, while people talk about the need for education reform, I prefer to do something about it. And I want to know, uh, first of all, I want you to talk about your idea for Quadrat Academy and how optimistic are you about where things are going? Oh, uh, Quadrat Academy is a beginning of a new lifestyle for me personally, and I hope I can contribute to a change in the education system. When I came to the U.S., I I have a 16-year-old right now, and so he traveled with me in different countries, and I've seen him in different school environments. I've also worked in different school environments, teaching and volunteering. And so I I came to the U.S., and I realized how outdated the schools are, both public and private systems. They're very much um, a traditional mindset, a mindset that was set 100 years ago. And you know, when I walk uh, into Google or even SAP or any modern companies, uh, you see a, such a big difference between what is expected from the young adults and what we teach them in school, especially primary and secondary schools. Colleges try to bridge the gap, um, but, you know, what happens in the teenage years where adults and adolescents form their thinking mm-hmm. is the most critical and teaching them something 100 years old is is just not productive. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to challenge them more. I also saw the European system where I would have one question on my math exam, which had no answer. And I spent four hours trying to answer it, as opposed to here where you had four hours and you had to answer 160 questions very quickly, multiple choice. It's a completely different mindset and a challenge which kids need here. So critical thinking was one of the most important things that, you know, I thought were lacking in the education and exposure to very modern topics because educators are live in academia and the way you expose kids to modern topics such as Bitcoin or what Elon Musk is doing or what's happening in fashion, science, design, 
you bring in real professionals that live and breathe uh, the work. Uh, they inspire kids. So that is one of the concepts that I'm introducing into uh, Quadrat and, and sort of bringing kids into real-life projects, applied knowledge, so that they understand why they're learning what they're learning. We use a lot of Socratic uh, dialogues where we challenge them into debates. They have to make decisions. They have to form opinions. And kids have to question the status quo. We also use a lot of experiential education. This is a format of you know taking them out of classrooms, putting them into a very uncomfortable environment, and uh, pushing them beyond their comfort zone. This is where they learn and absorb. And you're working with children, I believe, from the ages of five through high school? Yes, so correct? we're middle and high school. Middle and high yeah. school. Okay, when we co- I want to learn a little bit more about what the difference is um, and how much different learning styles um, have an impact on, on you know what you're doing there at Quadrat. And stay tuned for Holly Dowling with our Leadership Watch. We'll be right back. Leadership Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Watch. And today, change a label and change a life. Yes, are you willing to take the challenge? And regardless of how you feel about someone close to you or someone you're working with, when we put labels on people's foreheads, it impacts the way we communicate, good or bad. And to me, the greatest gift as a leader you can give others is to be a pillar of empathy. And empathy means you're willing to step back and listen and have compassionate communication because, frankly, you'll never know what's going on in someone's life. And even the person that you're struggling with the most right now, that's the challenge I want to give you. Think of a person in your world, maybe it's in your personal life or your professional life, but someone you're really struggling with, and maybe you're holding a lot of resentment, anger, you've got all these negative connotations. Be the better person. Step back. And just for a moment, would you be willing to think, what if you don't know their story? What if something really horrific is going on in their world. Maybe they're challenged in their personal life, in their health. You never know what's going on. But if you don't know, would you be willing to change the label and be a compassionate leader and lead with empathy and be willing to start having conversations and then start to listen? You know, a magical thing can happen when we're willing to change a label. You actually might be the one person in someone's life that changes their life. Because you gave them the greatest gift of all that all human beings are craving, and that is to be heard, to feel loved, and to be safe. As Mr. Rogers' favorite quote of mine, in his pocket, there isn't a person you couldn't love if you knew their story. So I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me at hollydowling.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives. And her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world, hollydowling.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I 
wanted to read a quote as well that I took from your website that I think speaks a little bit more directly to um, what you're doing there and how it's different, you know, as far as um, working with children more personally. Our job is to identify and accelerate individual strengths and use them as motivators. I loved that because I think um, one of the things you're looking to do that's different from traditional education where every child was taught the same way, every child was asked to do the same task, you're looking at each child more individually, um, which I believe is a Montessori philosophy. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit more about that, what, what you do that's different and why it's so critical. Absolutely. As a new startup school, we have the opportunity to innovate and uh, differentiate between the content and the format and the speed of learning for each student, um, which is much needed because every student that we have has their own uh, lifestyle and the way they learn and what they're passionate about. Uh, so we don't measure them as a group or as a grade. We really measure them on individual development, and it's a 360 development. It's not just academic. It's also emotional, physical, intellectual development mm -hmm. that we're looking for. And so the beauty of a guided environment, which is a Montessori-based environment, is the fact that we don't teach and we don't force them to learn. We motivate them to learn. We find what it is they're passionate about and we use applied projects and knowledge to really get uh, back into academia. And so we, we're really, really excited about offering the opportunity to, for these kids to um, develop uh, their capacity for learning and build a lifestyle for them of knowledge. Mm. Um, I, I love that because I think it's really about helping them discover who they are. And when they do that, anything they learn is will sustain. Absolutely. The retention level is a lot uh, higher than, of course, in regular school, because it's not about the quantity of knowledge, it's the quality of knowledge. Mm -hmm. If someone's listening and wants, you know, um, the specifics about the school, where mm -hmm. is it? How many children? How do they mm -hmm. apply? Well, we're, we have, of course, all the information is on our website, mm -hmm. which is www.quadratacademy.com. We're also listed on all school sites, the grade schools, Philly schools, et cetera, and you can find information there if you're looking at independent schools, middle or high school. Can you, where did the name come from, Quadrat? Oh, we gave it a lot of thought, and we were looking for a word that would be both unique and meaningful and which would represent the school quadrat as, as a term is an actual interesting term. It, it is a, um, a square that you put um, into the environment uh, to test seeds. So you plant uh, something into this square, and if it is successful, you take that sample into the greater uh, biological world and where you, you know, can seed it and, and it grows beyond the, the the quadrat environment, and we thought it was very symbolic of our school, where we seed the knowledge and innovation, and, you know, we want it to be successful, and we want these kids to go into the world and flourish. Is your hope that this um, type of education will be adopted on a national level? Absolutely. Uh, this is a model. In fact, we're looking to build more schools like this. Uh, this is our first prototype school in Philly. And uh, we believe they're much needed. Uh, kids need to be brought into 2018. 
reality uh, with education. They need to explore a lot more. They need to be motivated. So we think the approach uh, will be very successful. In fact, we are already receiving a lot of positive feedback. So. That's wonderful. Tell, tell me how you're, you're doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, so running this school, and you are the founder. You started this. That, that's a lofty thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and you also work full-time at mm -hmm. SAP. Tell me, can you tell me what a typical day is, where you are and what you're doing? Yes. Uh, well, you know, Quadrat is run by a very, very talented team, and I'm very fortunate. Um, I have educators. I, the lead guide is a Harvard PhD, so my team is very strong, and they do a lot. Uh, uh, we have one of the top photographers and, you know, filmmaker on staff and experiential educator. So... Essentially, they take on a heavy load on the quadrat side. I provide guidance and support and whatnot. Of course, I spend um, a lot of time at SAP and doing projects. I'm fortunate because I manage my time. Um, and then I do a lot of things for the school as well. And of course, I have two kids of my own. Right, and, and you're a I mom, have a, right? a stepdaughter. So uh, I think the days are you know, just very interchangeable. I work on many projects at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, I travel, I go to Germany for SAP uh, meetings. And so, you know, nothing different from what I've done in the past, you know, um, but I've always had a lot of, a lot of interesting projects. And I think I just, the more I do, the more effective I am. So I found, in fact, if I free up my time, I am not as productive, but oh, if I take on more work, I actually manage my time to the T. I plan, I watch my calendar, and I make it happen. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's, it also makes for some sleepless nights. Right. I put my yes. baby to sleep, and yes. then I work. Yeah, um, but it is okay because I love it. Do you have um, a inspirational uh, phrase or or quote that you live by? Um, of course, uh, I think, you know, anything is possible. And I believe standards and status quo can always change. Mm. Okay, that's a great way to end the show. Svetlana, thank you so much for joining us. And I mm -hmm. wish you continued success. I'll be following thank everything you very that's much. happening with the school. Stay with us now for Mary Manzo for our Technology Watch. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. Last week, I talked about the lack of women in the technology industry and why it matters. To recap, when men and women work together, their complementary traits create innovation in the workplace, and technology is all about innovation. Although more companies are including women in their technology roadmap through succession planning, the percentages of women earning computer science degrees keeps decreasing. This approach won't solve the problem if women are not available for the roles. It's a vicious cycle. To break the cycle, we have to address the issue top-down and bottom-up in parallel. This week, we'll discuss some top-down approaches. Many organizations are taking action through gender equality programs and leadership development. Companies are pairing high-performing women with mentors regardless of gender. Mentors at a higher level in the organization help them prepare for their future and provide the visibility of what's needed to advance. Executives are insisting that non-discriminating policies be enforced. One client I work with doesn't reflect salaries to their hiring managers and controls all negotiations to ensure gender equality. Organizations like Women in Technology International are also addressing the issue. 
They inspire and advocate for women in the technology industry. This organization doesn't discriminate against gender, but instead works side by side to provide mentorship, to lead by example, to close the gender gap and create interest for young women. Programs like this one, Women to Watch, are inspiring and encouraging more women to pursue leadership roles worldwide and influence women through their stories. There are more women advocacy organizations and mentorship programs being formed, and it's incredible. However, marrying the top down to a bottom-up approach is critical if we want to see results. Stay tuned for next week's segment where I'll address the bottom-up. You can reach me at mary at pathwayscg.com. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Please be sure to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter where we will share our lineup for you and all things related to the show. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Women to Watch. Thank you as well to our sponsors and contributors for helping us to tell the real story behind her title. Here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Have a great week. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.